This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly and Manchester United can't even find a reprieve from inside the Carabao Cup box. Newcastle hammer them 3-0 and it's no surprise. A lot of changes for both sides but one had a plan and the other just turned up and hoped. Arsenal are dumped out by West Ham. More kudos to Kudos and his first touch while Jared Bowen keeps on performing. Two wins in a row for Everton. Top trolling from Sean Dyche to win the Sean Dyche derby almost exclusively with former Burnley players. And then there's peak Darwin Nunes as Liverpool win in the sea, on the sea in Bournemouth. Well done to Port Vale for getting to the quarterfinals for the first time. We'll look ahead to the Premier League weekend. Newcastle Arsenal and Spurs Chelsea, the pick of the games. Then there's Jani giving Saudi Arabia the 2034 World Cup on Instagram. Another ref without a whistle. The shameful Dutch-Swedish detective mix-up. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, hello. Hi, Max. Hello, Johnny Lou. Hi. And hello, John Bruin. Hello. Uh, so the quarterfinal draw for the League Cup was made hours, it seemed, after Man United got hammered by Newcastle. Uh, Everton, Fulham, Chelsea, Newcastle, Port Vale, Middlesbrough and Liverpool, West Ham. Let's start then at Old Trafford. Man United nil, Newcastle three. Um, Jim says, for all the Man United woes, is it just taking the piss for Newcastle to beat them with seven different fullbacks on the pitch at various times? <laughs> uh, Richard Jolly tweeting that so far tonight, Manchester United have had more captains than shots on target. Uh, eight defeats in 15, worst run since I think 1972. Nick says, which inquiry into a major disaster to predict? Do we expect to feature more swear words? Dominic Cummings on Boris Johnson or John Bruin on Manchester United? Off you go, John. Uh, they're a bunch of absolute useless fuckpigs, aren't they? That's the uh, that's Manchester United. Uh, uh, well, you can't say it wasn't coming. And I suppose it's a symbolic defeat in that, um, actually as Barney related to us, those within Manchester United play, play such emphasis on winning the Carabao Cup last season as this was a regarded as a, a measure of the success and how far Manchester United had travelled and how they were on their way back well they surrendered it so meekly didn't they and um, as regards the performance well it's difficult to start with who was bad and it's unfortunate but Hannibal young Hannibal came into the team seemed determined to get himself sent off from very early on and then for the first uh, Newcastle goal because he can't make a tackle um, they break away and score but I say that he couldn't make a tackle but there were two other Manchester United players that could have made a tackle during that goal and neither of them bothered either and uh, away they went and scored and then if you think of the Lewis Hall goal lovely goal if you're Lewis Hall Newcastle fan uh, first goal in senior football but rather too easy for him uh, and uh, the Newcastle fans had so much fun uh, singing along about how Ten Hag is going to get sacked in the morning. And, uh, this morning I watched Ten Hag's press conference, the full three and a half minutes of it, in which he just kept saying, I'm a fighter, I'm a fighter, I'm a fighter. Now, the thing about fighters is they're often the last to think that they can still win, aren't they? Um, yeah. It's going really very badly for Manchester United. Yeah, Ten Hag did say we weren't at our usual standard. And I was like, well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andrew says, do you, does the fact that Newcastle made eight changes but still had a clear style of play highlight Manchester United's total, total lack of identity? I thought it was an interesting question, Johnny, because they did make lots of changes. So you could put it down to a kind of, well, it doesn't really matter. But both teams did that and one knew what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, if you if you line up those those two sets of players next to each other. I mean, I had I had no idea Paul Dummett was was still knocking around the place. Um, you know, Matt Ritchie, who you know, I don't know he's probably in his late forties by now. Uh, I, I, you know, any anybody that says that football is won by players, you know, by the quality of players alone, that that matches kind of the perfect response to that because you know you you could have put any you, you could have put any eleven players out there in a Manchester United shirt and you feel like. They still would have played in roughly the same way, with the same vibes, with the same energy. You know, it, it's it is it is cultural. I don't know how long we spent, how many hours of our lives. Yeah, certainly you and Barry 
right, how many hours of your lives have you spent dissecting Manchester United being shit, finding all these diff- different <laughs> metaphors and similes and, well, it's the culture, it's, you know, it's, it's the, oh, they, they just seem, you know, the, the, the recruitment's been terrible, old, the roof at Old Trafford is leaking, and, and it's, been, it's been like this for 10 years, kind of a, 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 ever, an ever-repeating Groundhog Day. That's a tautology. Uh, and not only that, it's saying the same thing twice. Um, so I, I don't know what there is new to say about, about Manchester United, I, other than the fact that they just, you know, they just need to go away for a couple of years and be shit out of the limelight, you know, and we should probably have a moratorium on talking about Manchester You know, almost like Arsenal were trying to do and almost like Chelsea are trying to do now. Just go away for a couple of years, be shit, get some therapy. Uh, you know, you, you're still, you know, the, Ferguson leaving was, was obviously a massive trauma. It's a, it's a, and it was a massive, massive trauma for them. And they never managed to get away, they never managed to get over that trauma and, and so ended up in a cycle of, you know, doing self-destructive things because... The business of Manchester United PLC would not allow them to spend a little bit of time and think about what they were doing because they, they are being kept in this, they're trapped in this cycle of, of tension and trauma uh, and trying to, you know, lash out and, and, and almost, you know, look for miracle cures and, and saviours that will that will kind of snap them out of it. But that, that's not how it happens. You know, any, anyone who's been, kind of been through a trauma knows that, that that's not how you get over it, you, you, you do it with time and, and a process and, and you know, almost a, a little bit of peace and quiet and United will never have that. And that's, that's why they're, they're still trapped in this, in this nightmare. Mm. And so many players, Baz, not at, at it. Sonny says, could Barry have more impact up front for Man United than Martial, who's on 250 grand a week? Ian is Anthony, the Brazilian cousin of George Weyer. David Wheater did make me laugh when he went, I'm not shitting you. I reckon I could do what Anthony does for United. He's on about 150 grand a week. Mason Mount's on 250, Sancho's on 373,000 pounds a week, Varane on 340. It's just, it's just amazing that you can earn so much money and not. Well, at, at least Mason yeah. Mount was on the pitch, you <laughs> know. I mean, I've, I've, I lost faith in Anthony Marshall a long, long time ago, as I'm sure many Manchester United fans did as well. He, he's capable of excellence, but it's so sporadic. He, I, he seems to be stealing a living there. Anthony's signing has been a disaster. Uh, Varane wasn't on the field last night, as far as I know. Even though it was their second or third string, you kind of wonder what's going on there. Uh, he didn't play in the Manchester derby either. Who else? Was, well, Jaden Sancho seems to be you know, out in the cold. I'd say he's probably just going to wait it out and hope that Eric Ten Hag gets sacked. And the writing very much does seem to be on the wall at this stage. We we know how this cycle goes. You know, manager comes under pressure. People start saying, pointing out that he's under pressure. He says he's a fighter, uh, but generally only ends one one way. He seems a very uninspirational character. Uh, and while I don't think we're in you possibly been get out of bed to do a voice note you know in a couple of hours we're not in that territory yet it does seem to be only a matter of time and possibly not a very long time the only thing I would say in their favour Manchester United's favour is on paper they have quite a benign run of fixtures coming up Fulham Copenhagen Luton Everton Galatasaray but they could lose some of those games uh, and they could lose all of those games. I mean, we're, they're they're in quite yeah, they're in quite a benign yeah. run. And actually, the three games they've won, Brentford, Copenhagen, and Sheffield United, have all been like two of them incredibly lucky. Yeah, like a last minute penalty save and Scott McTominay. I mean, they could have lost all of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the the point Barry makes about the the ten hard departure, which seems almost inevitable. You'd have to say that that is probably going to be delayed till until Big Sir Jim Ratcliffe comes in. That if the Glazers have a modus operandi that we uh, that we know of, it is that is to leave stuff to the last minute and hope it goes away and leave it to somebody else. And that was and so when Ratcliffe comes in, um, even though it is said he has expressed faith in Ten Hag, any new owner comes into a club, even if it's a twenty five percent owner. And he's going to say, right, we'll get rid of him. And then, of course, we have the Dave Brailsford dream team. Uh, and then perhaps that 
the, the traumatic recovery process of which Jonathan speaks can begin with Sir Dave Brailsford's uh, marginal gains. What was yeah. it called? Marginal gains. That was it. Marginal gains. Marginal gains. Might he'll certainly he'll whip the medical department into shape. That's for sure. Whatever about the squad. <laughs> yeah. Could Man United fans look at Tottenham right and go? I'm sure, like this time last year, we were saying Tottenham are garbage, and it's going to take. They are screwed forever because their players are rubbish. The manager's rubbish. There's no structure. Those players, no one's going to buy them. And now suddenly, with quite a lot of changes and a new face, they have become at the moment, incredibly good. Yeah, I, I mean, this is this is something about the... This is about the different profiles of, of those two clubs. It's okay for... I mean, it's not okay, but it's acceptable. It is not a disaster for Spurs to be eighth for a couple of seasons uh, and try and... Basically, try and find a new team. Try and try and bring some new players through and find a new way of playing. I, I'm hugely encouraged by the start Postacoglu's made, but it's, it's still it's been a third of a season. And so Ten Hag started really well. He had, he had a really good first six months at United, and, and, and it's whether these it's whether these um, improvements can be sustained when you know through tough runs of fixtures, through injury crises, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I think there is something in that. You know, it used to be. You know. 30, 40 years ago, a giant would, you know, they'd even get relegated or, you know, they'd spend a few years in mid-table and they'd un- uncover a Shankly or a Ferguson uh, and and then they, they then they could b- begin their cycle of dominance again. And, and that simply isn't, it's not it's not allowed anymore, uh, partly because of the, you know, the way the finances work in, in elite football, that you, you can't ever really be truly you, you can't you can't be truly shit you can you, you know united never gonna get relegated uh and also the pressure uh from from the media cycle from fans um from investors for constant reinvention constant fixes that that's part of the problem i think and i, I think for, for united fans it's clearly following united isn't making them happy anymore it's not. It's not satisfying them. They might get occasional moments of joy. They might get occasional last-minute winners, the same as they did under Solskjaer. But I, I don't think that club is giving them the sort of the lasting satisfaction that you want from your relationship. One of one of the biggest relationships that you're going to have in your life. Um, so that that's the that's the tragedy to me that it's become an unhappiness machine, United. And you know, as as as. As fun as it is to watch from the outside, I do feel slightly for, for United fans who are, who are kind of trapped in it and, and probably don't have a lot of agency in, in, in terms of doing anything about it. It sounded like you were suggesting that if United turns to an avuncular Australian, all could be cured. And I'm thinking, who could that be? I mean, you know, Carl Kennedy's obviously a friend of yours, uh, but... Eddie Jones has uh, worked in this country before. Maybe his visa. You, so you look. I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Who, who are the Australians that could sort this thing out? You know, what's Brad Willis up to these days? And <laughs> well, do you know what? I bought Billy Kennedy. I mean, if if Carl, you know, doesn't want to travel, like Billy Kennedy did really well because he went from Aaronsburg to being a fireman in Chicago Hope, didn't he? So like, he's got some. He's yeah. got some real talent. Via house, wasn't um, it? Yes, via being a doctor as well. So, like, he's a multi-talented guy. So, he, I, I, I'd say Billy Kennedy. Obviously, Alf Stewart could kick someone into shape. He's more of a sort of Sean Dyche, Sam Allardyce. Disciplinarian. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. Um, Barry, Newcastle were excellent, and they had made lots of changes. The back four was different. Lewis Hall was great. Emma Kraft came back, mentioned Dummett. Um, Joe Willock had been out for a long time. We should give them some credit. Yeah, I was just thinking there that the handful of Newcastle fans we have left among our listenership will probably get angry that we're devoting all our time to <laughs> to United. But United being crap is the story because we know how good Newcastle can be. They're all pulling together for Eddie Howe. Fringe players come in and play well. They don't. It's not. They don't appear to be sulking on the sidelines. It was no surprise that they won. It was probably a surprise they won as comfortably as they did. But to, to use the, the cliche, they, they obviously wanted it more. They're a much more cohesive side. They don't necessarily have better players, but they're a much better team at the moment. Liveramento, I think, was given man of the match. And obviously, Lewis Hall scored a goal. Now, um, I, I went to the Wolves-Newcastle game last weekend, and in which Kieran Trippier had a bit of a nightmare. And there was a discussion afterwards about when is Eddie going to release the £60 million worth of fullbacks that they've spent over the summer, 
Liveramento, Lewis Hall both came in, did a good job. Again, that looks like good, sensible recruitment and Eddie playing them at the, the time that's right. And so if Trippier has a, a lapse in form, and I think he's been a little bit dodgy last couple of games, they've got a ready-made replacement. Well, that's how you build a squad, isn't it? West Ham 3, Arsenal 1. Um, brilliant result this for West Ham, Johnny. I totally deserved. Really, really impressed by West Ham. I, th- I thought uh, Mohamed Kudus's goal was was better than Bergkamp's against Argentina. Wow, okay. <laughs> no, if you think about it, right, if you think about it, but it's, it's a very similar, very similar kind of setup, diagonal mm-hmm. ball. Mm-hmm. Bergkamp takes it down with two touches. Kudus takes it down with one, beats the, beats the, beats the defender with a, with a single touch and then has to thread his shot through Gabriel's legs into the bottom corner. Whereas I think if you remember, Burkham had a pretty free run uh, at, at the at the corner of the goal there. So I, I, I think that was um, that, that was probably wow. a superior goal to to, to one of the most. Le- I think that Burkamp, because he finishes with the outside of his right foot, and actually because of the angle that you see it from, right? And also because it's better, <laughs> I think for those three reasons I would go. Yeah, also also Argentina, Argentina are knackered. But yeah, yeah, you get plus points for the outside of the foot. Kudus, by the way, has you know I th- I thought he was fantastic. I think we we are finally well not finally but we are we are beginning to see the best of him. And there is so much talent in that West Ham squad. Uh, you know that there they are so much fitter than they used to be. Um, there, there's a real kind of you know we talk about the togetherness and the and the spirit and you know Moyes ball and, and and whatever but. There is there is real talent in that squad, and and, and it's really exciting to to see. And Arsenal weren't quite at it. Uh, I think I think that's fair to say. Um, but yeah, a real, real uh, Bowen, Jared Bowen. He's so like I remember when Bowen Bowen joined West Ham from Hull, and he would basically get he would get shoved off the ball by by defenders. And now he's the guy's like a beast. He's a, he's he's an absolute tank. So that there, that's that's kind of the transformation that uh, that Moyes I think has has brought. Didn't Bowen? spend a summer like running through ploughed fields on his father's farm down in it's from Hereford Devon is that him or is that yeah yeah Hereford yeah Uh, because he he realized that he wasn't quite strong enough so he he was just spent the summer on dad's farm you know lifting boulders and hammering in fence posts and dragging a plough around the field you know doing the work of an ox and and that's how he kind of bulked up a bit and got mm. stronger and fitter. What a montage that would be. Yeah, yeah. So he basically spent a summer doing a Rocky uh, montage. I'd like to see a David Squires of that, yeah. <laughs> Come on, David. Uh, <laughs> do that for us. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not worth reminding anyone, Barry, that both you and I suggested they would get relegated this season in our <laughs> Premier League previews. I don't know what I was, I don't know what part of me was thinking that. You're so right about Bowen, Johnny. It's just a Brilliant. I think he switched to the other side as well, didn't he? Because Kudos is sort of plays in similar play right winger playing on left footed player right on the right wing. So the fact that he could do that was was brilliant. Meanwhile, Arsenal, John, they weren't at it. No. Um, a lot of the conversation comes to could Aaron Ramsdale have saved any of those shots? Because oh. uh, you know, like that's the sort of Ramsdale Raya watch that is just continual now. And he was fouled for the first goal and he probably can't do anything for the other two. So Gets a pass from me. It was Rambo's big night out, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, it, it's been made fairly clear that he's not happy with this situation. Um, and yet he concedes three. I think there's one of them where I thought, maybe you could have done a little bit better than that. Um, and the third, the defle- it was deflected, though. Well, he, he, got, he got a big hand to the deflected goal, but wasn't able to keep it out. Trevor Brooking would would have said, you know, if you get hands to it, then you've got, you know, you've got to save it. And I, I, I've, we can't dismiss Trev's logic there, can you? But no, I mean, it. it yeah, I, I, I feel sorry for for Ramsdale. I think I'm still not convinced by David Raya, but I can see the logic of it, and the st- the statisticians will tell you that he makes more saves, um, and uh, obviously the the distribution aspect of it, which I didn't think Ramsdale was particularly bad at, but. Listen, if if you're Aaron Ramsdale, wait your time up. Someone will buy you up. And as long as it's not Manchester United, things will probably be okay. I enjoyed your tweet, John. It has Ben White joined a Blink-182 tribute band. Striking look he's gone for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, has he had a, an accident there with the sun in? Or it, it, it was, you know, I mean, listen, I'm no sartorial uh, 
expert, but is that what the kids are doing now? Jonathan, you might know. Uh... I'm 38 this month. Okay, so well, okay. <laughs> so that is a kid. That is a kid to us. Well, that's it. Yeah, you're a kid to me, Jonathan. But, uh, I thought it looked quite good. So, was it fake tan? Is it fake tan and peroxide hair? Yeah. Maybe that that looks big, big in Berlin. Mm. Surely, you know, there must be a bit of that going on. Oh yeah, I mean, for, for the for the full effect, he probably wants a couple of piercings and and a fringe, uh, and, and a sort of a, a black biker jacket. Some sort, some sort of some sort of chain hanging down somewhere. Yeah, yeah. If he. Do you reckon that's how he dresses? On you know, like on the Christmas do, like he he turns up looking like he's in Blink One Eighty Two, yeah, like Mark yeah. Hoppus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, who knows? I, I, Barry, De- the Declan Rice. Uh, this was the Declan Rice derby, and you know he was applauded while warming up, and then some people booed him, and then some ex pro said, "I can't believe he's been booed," <laughs> as if football fans aren't in for a bit of panto. I mean, that's. What it was, right? Don't forget, Max, it was also the Dinos uh, Campromanus Derby. Is that his name? Have I got his name completely wrong? Mavropanos. Uh, Mavropanos. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How quickly we forget. (laughs) Yes, I know. Well, I had forgotten, if if truth be told. He he had his seven appearances for Arsenal. No one made a big deal out of that. Yeah, I mean, Declan Rice, there were some boos. Uh, Then the, the boos were drowned out by warm applause and... You know, I'm sure it's it's all just pantomime. I'm sure he doesn't care. Uh, and West Ham fans are perfectly entitled to boom. It's quite funny that they're booing him, but there's really no reason why they should boom. I think icy indifference would almost be better, but, um, you know, what, whatever. I guess in a way, the fact that he when he wasn't on the pitch, Arsenal weren't as good is a sign that he is really quite important for Arsenal. But I think... We all knew that anyway, didn't we? Um, but well done, West Ham. And that'll do for part one. Uh, part two, uh, we'll go through the rest of the Carabao Cup games. Neuer Job, neues Glück. Starte jetzt als Fahrerin bei Lieferando durch. Mit einem Vertrag ganz nach deinem Geschmack. Entdecke deine Stadt, sichere dir ein geregeltes Einkommen und eine Work-Life-Balance, die zu dir passt. Na, bereit abzuliefern? Dann bewirb dich jetzt online. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Alan says, Dear Max and Co, I was listening to Football Weekly a few weeks back after having a few drinks. As an American listener, I was excited about the Football Weekly tour live stream in Brighton that I signed up on the spot. I was surprised to see my info auto-filling on the website, but figured maybe I'd used it before for a previous tour. Turns out I was drunk enough that I'd forgotten I'd already bought a ticket to this year's live stream. I figured... <laughs> I've... <laughs> I figure buying two tickets is the least I can do to thank you and the pod for hours entertainment, hilarity and emotions. As many listeners have said previously, you and the pod have gotten me through some very tough times in the past few years. Hearing the usual voices multiple times a week never fails to brighten my day. If there's anyone who would like a ticket but can't afford it, is there a way you or more likely producer Joel could reassign the extra to them? Thanks again, Alan from New Orleans. Um, more pertinently, could everyone please buy two tickets, especially for Troxy? <laughs> And then we'll fill the place. Uh, David says, uh, hi, all long time listener, not missed an episode since 2007, I reckon. Blimey, that's some commitment. Uh, I'm heading for the Manchester show. I've treated a local legend to accompany me. I live in Buxton, Derbyshire. And Chris Hill, also a long time listener, has been a stalwart of local football scene for years, coaching the town's kids at schools, football camps, most recently at Buxton FC. He'll absolutely hate, brackets love this recognition. So a shout out would be amazing on the pod or the night. Keep up the great work. I don't know what I'd do without you all. Thanks, Dave Bertels, brackets, no relation to Gary. Presume you don't need to use that for all your life situations, but here it is relevant, I suspect. Yes, we are going on tour. Yes, John? I told you, didn't I, that I met Gary Bertels recently, and he's he's into collecting uh, records, and that he had paid an awful lot of money for a first edition of Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Conversations you thought you'd never have, but yeah, yeah. No. Well, I just remember when I was, I did a, the Hong Kong Soccer Sixes something or something. I hosted that and John Moss was there. And I said, what have you been up to today? We in the bar and he went, I've just been checking out the vintage record stores of Hong Kong. I was like, okay, that, was, that was not where I thought this conversation would go. Could I, could I ask, sorry, John, what, what would the going rate for a first edition of Appetite for Destruction be? Oh, well, someone, someone interested for some reason. Uh, I think he'd paid... 
I think it was about two hundred pounds. All oh, right. He'd okay. also he'd also bought a record by a, a, the deepest prog uh, band called Coliseum, which was sort of jazz, sort of jazz rock slash prog rock, which I had to look up, and even I found that a bit impenetrable. So mm. yeah, that is a he's a true head. Is Gary Burtles? John Moss famously owns he owns a record store, a vintage vinyl shop in in, in Headingley, mm. um, in uh, just outside Leeds, called. The vinyl whistle. Vinyl whistle. The vinyl whistle. Yeah. Um, um, I think John has to look up a record. And the chances <laughs> are it is not on my radar. Anyway, look, all of this chat means come to the live shows, please. Uh, Troxy in East London. It's just next to Limehouse. Very easy to get to on the DLR. Absolute piece of cake. You're basically there if you're in central London. Uh, me, Baz, Ellis James, Troy Townsend and Philippe Claire. Um, a few tickets left in Manchester um, me, Baz, John Brewer, Nadia Manuha, and the live stream of which Johnny will be a part of us um, alongside Nikki Bandini, 22nd. Um, and you can watch it a week on catch up as well. Go to theguardian.com slash fwtour23. If you've already bought a ticket, get drunk and buy another one. Everton 3, Burnley 0. Uh, Rich, a Burnley fan, says, Is the correct reaction when one of your former players crosses for another one of your former players in a team managed by the most Burnley manager ever to score the most Burnley goal ever to just go, Oh, for fuck's sake. This is Sean Dyche, Sean Dyching Burnley, Johnny. Yeah, I mean, this is... I mean, if you got, you know, a few years ago, if you'd said Everton and, you know, would, would beat Burnley and Burnley would have 63% possession, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a real weird role reversal. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't see all of it. I just, I just saw the, I just saw the goals, but I mean, I think Everton are coming good, aren't they? A little bit. Um, there was, they obviously had this nightmarish start to the season, but the underlying stats as, as, um, as the, as the dudes, as the stats dudes like to say, were, were, were still quite good, uh, and I, I think you know that they, they are they are beginning to come good now. That they're, they're actually putting away a few of the chances that they're creating, um, and yeah, n- nice um, nice uh, reception for, for Calvert Lewin as well when he went off, and then you have yeah Tarkovsky, uh, former Burnley player, scoring the opening goal, Anana, and then Ashley Young sort of um, completing it at the end. So um, yeah, I think it's. Uh, Trouble for Burnley, I think. I think that I, I still have no idea watching them how they want to score goals. I think I think they know how they want to want to score goals, but I don't I don't see any evidence of, of how they're actually going to put it together. Mm. Although it is customary to say, I think Burnley will come good. Like, this is, uh, <laughs> they're terrible. They're, they're, so they're really terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah awful. Yeah. They're, they're, it, I'm sorry, Burnley fans. You're the worst team I've seen this season. Uh, I saw them Brentford. Okay. Oh, 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 dear! And, and 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 Jonathan's absolutely correct. They there is no route to goal. They know to shoot on goal and get headers on, but it's the sort of bit before that that they're not managing to do. Uh, and uh, Big Vin came in with this, you know, freestyle um, passing football, uh, and it's not really transferred to a high division or facing a, a team of. I was going to say of, of the quality of Everton, but I think actually what we have seen is that Sean Dyche has located the quality within Everton's squad, which is a thin squad, and is doing a very Sean Dyche job with them. I suppose the question is, do they get an extra 12 points over those that they're going to get deducted? But obviously the Carabao Cup doesn't count towards that. But, you know, and also I should say uh, uh, a good send-off to Bill Kenwright ahead of... Uh, kick off last night much deserved for a great Everton man Bournemouth 1 Liverpool 2 Baz I'm incredibly wet Storm Kieran is battering the south coast and uh, vintage Darwin Nunes is the only part of this game that we can need to cover well I mean his goal was fantastic insofar as his first touch was diabolical <laughs> it was a Mohamed Kudus it was not and he took the ball wide. The crowd were all laughing at him. And then he cut back inside, unleashed this screamer into the top. Well, it's, it's not really a screamer, I suppose. But uh, what a strike. Brilliant goal. And, uh, yeah, a very soggy evening on the South Coast. I, I hope everyone is indoors and wrapped up safe in the UK and Ireland. Uh, because they, we're in for a battering, I think. And, and Bournemouth certainly got one last night. Uh from the weather and and well as 
you know, two one respectable scoreline, but uh, Liverpool won pretty comfortably. Uh, Chelsea beat Blackburn two nil. Uh, nice finish from Raheem Sterling for one of them. Fulham won three one at Ipswich. Uh, Middlesbrough beat Exeter three two, and Port Vale uh, won at Mansfield for so the first time in the quarter final of the Carabao Cup uh, for them, and uh, they will go to Middlesbrough. And uh, they're at home. Oh damn it! I was going to say I would love it. I would love it if they got something from there, but it doesn't quite work. If they're, I would still love it if they managed to get through to the semi-final. Um, uh, let's look ahead to the the Premier League games. The Newcastle Arsenal seems seems the most interesting game um, on paper, Johnny. It's interesting because up until last night, again, Newcastle have been stretched. They look tired. They look leggy. That game against Dortmund, then Wolves, and you think this is a really great chance for Arsenal to sort of put a marker down because it, it is not easy going to St. James's Park. Yeah, and also a kind of, it feels like a slightly emergent rivalry, certainly between the two sets of fans. I think Arsenal fans have been, certainly online, have been more, more vocal than most about you know Newcastle and, and the ownership. Uh, there was a really bad-tempered game at, at the Emirates last season, the, 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 the nil-nil, uh, where Arteta kind of, he sort of lost his rag a little bit on the touchline. You have these kind of contrasting, almost contrasting styles of play um, where Arsenal are essentially trying to build something and Newcastle are, uh, are, try, are trying to stop them. Um, and I think that that makes it a really fascinating clash. These are two of the teams who, if you pitch the Premier League forward three or four seasons, are probably going to be rivals for uh, Champions League football they're going to be coming up against each other quite a lot uh, in the in the coming years with with very similar aims, uh, and I think it, it's all going to add up to you know again Newcastle is, is definitely not not a is not an easy place to go and Arsenal are, are really going to have to they're going to have to dig deep as, as we say because it, it's 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 St James's Park where they had their big collapse at the end of the what was it the the the, the last season before before one two seasons ago basically they had, they had, they had their big collapse. And, and missed out on the Champions League, so there's a there's a little bit of history there. Eddie Howe is uh, backing his owners to throw a wonderful World Cup. He said our trips out there to Riyadh and Jeddah were two different experiences, really. Uh, everywhere we went was well organised. We were well looked after. If that's a sign of what a World Cup might look like structurally, it will be really good. Uh, more of that in uh, part three. Spurs Chelsea on Monday night, John. So we'll obviously uh, do a pod in between these times, but. I don't know. It feels like for Chelsea, this is not a good time to play Spurs. But I think every Spurs fan is sitting there thinking, oh, no, this is the this is where it falls apart." Well, three points lane, as Chelsea fans call it, don't they? And there is that. that, that there used to be that long-standing record. Even watching the highlights of Chelsea last night, I, I still have no idea what is going on with Chelsea. And that's the one thing you could say is that Tottenham have developed very quickly uh, 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 an obviously recognisable style of play, a sense of direction. They should have too much for Chelsea. These are the ty- types of games where Ange Ball will be tested because it's uh, th- there'll be a sense of anxiety in the Tottenham Stadium, I would have thought, just because it is Chelsea. And, and it's Pochettino. And it gets Pochettino. But, but, but the thing about Pochettino, though, is, I again, I don't recognise this guy. When I see this bloke in the Chelsea um, dugout and a guy after the game, he's got. Are we sure this is the same bloke that was at Tottenham? Because this guy, you know, the, the, the guy at Tottenham had charisma. He had, you know, uh, lots of quips, lots of, um, you know, he, he, was, he was like a, a winner. He sort of gave off this aggressive. He's become much more passive, much more. Um, He's almost as if like he's arrived at Chelsea and thought, mm, yeah, this is like the other clubs in which I've had problems. And he hasn't committed himself in a full potch way. We've had none of the mysticism, none of the... It's just, I- I'm not sure this is the same guy. Paris does that to you, I think. PSG does that does that to you. I mean, too cool. Also, he, he came out of that whole circus uh, a lot more pragmatic. Basically, you know, when your job has been reduced to win this thing, Manage yes. these, manage these children, and win this thing. Manage these idiots. Yeah, it's yeah. you know, it, it's it's management. It's it's coaching pared down to its to its very basic, most basic, almost very, most cynical level. And I think that fundamentally changes your outlook. If you take that job, you are essentially saying, you know, I want to win something. I I, I don't care about anything else. I don't care about you know building anything. I, I just I, I need to win this thing, and I think that changes 
very significantly your outlook on on coaching as a vocation. That's my theory. While we're on Tuchel um, and vaguely linked to Spurs and Harry Kane, who left for pastures new to win trophies, Archie writing caps lock on big time. Third division FC Saarbrook and two Bayern Munich one. It's done. One of the biggest ever shocks in the DFB Pokal history. Um, he didn't come on, Baz. But, uh, you know, that is one... Maybe, maybe he should have. Yeah. Oh, God, it'd be unbearable if he didn't win anything, wouldn't it? <laughs> like, it would also be funny. It would be funny if he didn't win anything and obviously Spurs go on to win the league. Um, <laughs> that would... Oh, crikey. Uh, no, I bear Harry no ill will whatsoever, but, yeah, it would be funny if he didn't win anything at Bayern either. Harry Kane didn't join... Bayern Munich to win the DFB Pokal. It's obviously very funny that he he wasn't playing last night, by the way. And it kind of that performance True. showed exactly why they bought him because you know there's so many games last season they had Chupin motting up front and they were creating lots of chances and they couldn't put them away and and Zarbrook and finished them in the 96th minute. That's exactly why Kane was signed. He's, he's started the season brilliantly. There's been almost no adaptation period at all. They're still. I think by distance the best team in the Bundesliga. Uh, so while it would be very funny if he if he didn't win anything at the end of the season, I think he is going to be a Bundesliga champion at the, at the very least. Full of Man United's the early kicker on Saturday. I don't think we need to do much on Man United, <laughs> 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 but but Fulham John will fancy this. Of course, answer this question without any reference to Manchester United if you can. Uh, oh, I'm not sure I can. Uh, no, but. Um, uh, <laughs> No, it's not possible. It's not possible. Um, no, no, can't do it. No. Fine. Absolutely fine. Um, at Nottingham Forest, Aston Villa. John, you were on a Nottingham Forest podcast, the Garibaldi Red. Um, yes. Uh, can you repeat all of the interesting things you said on there? Well, I actually learned quite a lot about Nottingham Forest by not knowing that much about Nottingham Forest because I equated actually to, do you remember when Eddie Howe was at Bournemouth and everyone would say, what a job Eddie Howe's doing at Bournemouth? And then he'd look and see that Bournemouth had lost about seven games in a row. But you never notice because it was Bournemouth. <laughs> and that's sort of what's going on with Nottingham Forest, is the fans are starting to get a bit worried. And the ownership being the ownership, uh, there, is, there is concern over Steve Cooper because um, the fans are still behind Steve Cooper. And I think all of us here will have been in that position of saying, what a job Steve Cooper's doing, by the way. And then you look and it's not going so well. Now, there's been a lot of injuries um, and it's he, he struggled to maybe replace Brennan Johnson, Vaughan Gibbs White, Barry's hero, uh, has perhaps struggled a little bit. And w- what you've got is a, a club, this classic second season-itis. I was asked, you know, do, do, do you see them up with the Brantfords or the Fulhams? And my feeling was they're below that, but the problem, the, the problem they've got is at the bottom three, we all think that's copper bottoms, but say Bournemouth, Iriola's wizardry suddenly starts putting results together, a club like Forest is one that's going to start worrying. Mm. Vindication for Sid Lowe, uh, it would be, wouldn't it? Um, uh, on the subject of yeah. Villa, Grant says, can you please mention Charlie Aitken, who passed away yesterday at the age of 81, all-time appearance record holder for Aston Villa with 660 games over a 17-year period. So uh, yeah, may Charlie rest in peace. And uh, we send our love to uh, uh, Villa fans, of course. Uh, Everton, Brighton. Everton are good now. We've established. <laughs> sort of feel, sort of feel they could, they could do something here, Baz, against Brighton. I just got full recency bias. I don't know. Probably, and I think I probably have recency-ish bias in saying Brighton aren't as impressive at the moment as they they were last season. Funnily enough, actually, uh, and I'm going to drag Manchester United in here, even though there's no place in it. I was just thinking last night, if United did get rid of Ten Hag, would Roberto De Zerbi be the obvious candidate to replace him? Or would Manchester United perhaps think he's beneath them, uh, even after all the good work he's, he's done? But yeah, at Goodison, Brighton can be sketchy enough away from home. And with with Everton resurgent, uh and Dominic Calvert-Lewin in form, more importantly, and, and fit. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Everton won this one. Bad news for Iriola's wizardry. Uh, Bournemouth go to Man City at the weekend. So that's the end of that one. Uh, and, uh, uh, no, well, that's just going no, to be, oh, well, guys, Iriola, 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> yeah, know, what I mean, guy. Yeah. Imagine, imagine that. I have oh, so much respect the, for him. Yeah. The way the way they play, they play the game the right way and all that. Yeah. Oh, we beat them six 0 Well, that's what he used to do with Eddie Howe's Bournemouth. So, you know, yes. Routinely <laughs> praise them and Eddie Howe and then smash them. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere, what Brentford, West Ham, uh, Burnley, Palace, Luton. Liverpool and Sheffield United Wolves as well. We'll look back at all of those on Monday. I I, I, yes. I don't think you should be um, just sort of dismissing Luton Liverpool out of hand. This this is a big game, Max. Now, listeners of a certain age will remember a time during the mid to late eighties when and and younger listeners aren't going to believe this. But, Luton were Liverpool's bogey team. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They yeah. really were. And there was in 1986-87 when there were still FA Cup, you know, replays, replays until you got a result. Luton played Liverpool five times and Liverpool only won once. And then, uh, yeah, from years on, Luton, and this was an all-conquering Liverpool side, but they, they always struggled to conquer Luton. And Luton used to... Caused them all sorts of problems. Now, this season, in our previews, everyone's previews, Luton's biggest asset was, you know, Kenilworth Road. That'll, that's, someone's going, some big team's going to come a cropper at Kenilworth Road. And I think it might be Liverpool this weekend. And if not, assuming Liverpool go on to beat them 9-0, <laughs> and I end up looking a complete clown, <laughs> it'll be Manchester United in two games' time. If if that's at Kenilworth Road, I have I have to check. Are you suggesting, Barry, that they reinstall the plastic pitch for this one? That's that, that's yes. yeah, oh, sorry, Ricky Hill. Ricky Hill. No, it, it won't be Man United because they're at home. But um, yeah, we we did say some big teams going to come a cropper. And True, we did. Yeah, and I can feel it now. You've I'm sold calling it. To me. it. You've this totally sold it to me. Okay. Luton will re- they'll well invoke the spirit of Mick Hartford, the Steen brothers, Mal Donaghy. Uh, David yeah, Pleat. Yeah, and, and they will beat there Liverpool we this weekend. The, the original David Priest. Yeah. Ah, yes. Dave, what a play. He played for Cambridge for a while. Played so deep. It was a centre mid who played behind our goalkeeper, basically. Just <laughs> Legs pinged, utterly gone. Past yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. But what a left foot he had. Anyway, we should uh, offer our uh, sincere congratulations to Luton for hammering <laughs> Liverpool. Might as well not even play the game now, frankly. Uh, I'll do for part two. Uh, we'll start part three with uh, news of the 2034 World Cup. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Saudi Arabia has been confirmed as the sole bidder to host the 2034 Men's World Cup. Uh, it has until July of 2024 to submit its full bid. And FIFA's due to publish its assessments at the end of next year. I assess it. Tick. There you go. Uh, before confirming a uh, vote is held at its com- Congress, uh, Jenny Infantino posted on Instagram, the bidding processes were approved by consensus via the FIFA Council, where all six confederations are represented after constructive dialogue and extensive consultation alongside a photo of him holding the World Cup. Um, Saudi Arabian Football Federation President Yasser Al Misehal said, driven by a huge passion for the game by our young nation, the Saudi Arabian Football Federation is fully committed to meeting and exceeding the bid's requirements. He also said hosting the tournament would be an open invitation to the world to experience our rich football culture. Any thoughts, Johnny? Well, I mean, this is this is a country of was it about 30, 35, 36 million people. Uh, this, is, this is not Qatar. They, they have one of the biggest economies in the world, they've just obviously set up the Saudi Pro League and are, are pumping millions, you know, billions into, into that. The stadiums will, will be fantastic. The the welcome that, um, that, that that fans can expect, you know, it, it will go it will go very smoothly, you know. It, uh, and by by twenty thirty four, you know, FIFA obviously talks about spreading the game uh, to, to new areas, and by twenty thirty four, it will have been twelve years since the World Cup visited the Persian Gulf. So, uh, so obviously that that's a, a huge opportunity for that part of the world to experience the festival of football uh, once again that Saudi Arabia can provide. And I, I for one, uh, I can't wait. <laughs> Why is everyone laughing? 
Uh, Steve Coburn, Amnesty's head of economic and social justice, said uh, human rights commitments must be agreed with potential hosts before finals decisions on hosting the tournaments are made. FIFA must now make clear how it expects hosts to comply with its human rights policies. It must also be prepared to halt bidding process if serious human rights risks are not credibly addressed. FIFA expects any host to conform with the terms of the UN's guiding principles on business and human rights. This would require, in FIFA's words, human rights and labour standards to be implemented by the bidding member associations, the government and other entities involved in the organisation of the competition, such as those responsible for the construction and renovation of stadiums, training sites, hotels and airports. But with this Saudi thing, is it not... I mean, it's almost a set of... The environmental aspect of this is just, you know, it's getting, to the, it's getting ridiculous. When you consider the... You know, the US World Cup will be, you know, flying all over a continent. And um, why does football seem to think it's above this? The climate crisis. Yeah, I mean, look, you see the increase in the Champions League. You also see, you're right, the 2030 World Cup, which is in ostensibly southern Europe, northern Africa, but also has a couple of games in South America. Um, And it's not just the players, is it? Because it's the fans, it's the media, it's everyone else that goes alongside it and if you if you move to a okay so the next the next nation along through a process of what we will call diplomacy in whose interest it is to keep uh fossil fuels uh as the major you know runner of industry or whatever around the world now what what what's FIFA's green policy? Because these things seem quite important at the moment. I mean, we're sat in the midst of Storm Kieran. Uh, you know, I don't know if that has anything to do with global warming. I suspect it might do. Um, and the green aspect of uh, World Cups appears to be completely ignored. Football is, you know, the, the sport of private jets and, uh, you know, where you've got teams flying from... What was the famous one? Arsenal to Norwich took them thirteen minutes. When when, when is the game going to turn turn its face towards those aspects? Because it 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 pays lip service to many other things. How about the environment? I mean, I'm aware of the hypocrisy. I am just about to jump on a plane quite a long way, um, but I, I will I will I will I will say for the record, not a private jet. Uh, I did ask the Guardian, but apparently, no, I, I can't have my own Boeing to take me back to the UK. Um, Aiden says, would you, Max, secretly have preferred it if Cambridge did actually concede their own goal for the sheer ridiculousness of it? Um, this was Wickham nil, Cambridge nil. And I watched the game and actually wasn't a bad game. A few chances for either side. And then in the last minute, um, our left back, Danny Andrew, just headed the ball up in the air. And our right back, Liam Bennett, then just hoid a volley from about 40 yards, which bounced over our keeper's head. And he lunged for it, but didn't touch it. And then it somehow bounced over the bar. And it was quite a stressful moment that morning in my garden. But yes, part of me is slightly sad it didn't go in because I could have probably got a column out of it or something, you know. Um, anyway, I'm beaten in three. Uh, um, on Green Day... Um, I'm sorry, I've forgotten who sent this message, but thank you. says, hey, Sid, just in case you didn't get those Green Day tickets, your son might be interested to know he can still co-own a football club with Billy Joe. Much more fun than boring Barca, Real, etc. Welcome to paradise, Billy Joe, said the Oakland Roots FC. Billy Joe Armstrong becomes the co-owner of Oakland Roots and Seoul SC, joining 3,000 new investors in a record-setting community investment round. Invest now, wefunder.com slash Oakland. So you can be part of the same thing as uh, Billy Joe. We could get him on the pod. Yes, Johnny? I slightly worry about how, how Oakland are going to negotiate the, the, the transfer window if, if Billy Joe you know, famously sleeps through the whole of August and, and only wants to be, <laughs> to be woken at the, at the start of September. They are going to miss out on a, on, on a hell of a lot of recruitment potential. I'm slightly worried I may incur the wrath of Bruin here, but after chatting about Green Day on Monday's pod, I, I sort of downloaded and listened to their more or less their entire back catalogue, which is quite large. They have some absolute bangers. Mm. Uh, I'd just like to say it for the record that in the event of my demise, I would like good riddance played as my coffin goes behind the curtain into the furnace. I was going to say, Barry, it might surprise you to learn that 
I am not a fan of Green Day, but I was amazed once walking through the streets of Manchester. Yankshite. Yeah, yeah. Bruin's favourite phase, Yankshite. Well, uh, yes, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, no, and, and I, 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 um, I, I walked through the, the streets of Manchester with my brother and saw that, you know, you have that, um, you had We Will Rock You and Mamma Mia, which is a, mm. a musical made of the songs of... Uh, yeah. I, I was in We Will Rock You once. Okay. Well, they had a green, they had a green Day version of this. Ah, good. Time of Your Life, is it called? I had a sort of new respect for how big Green Day was, that, that, that they've, you know, that they've managed to... Because what was the Rod one called? Tonight's the Night. I used to see... Uh, I used to drink down in Victoria and see the old... The guy that were dressed as Rod in a sort of Rod wig, <laughs> have, having a fag out the back before he went on. And, mm. But, yeah... So, yeah, Green Day, obviously bigger than I thought. Did, uh, in Rod Stewart, the musical, did at any point he do the Scottish FA Cup draw half cut? <laughs> was, that, was that a scene? Was that a deleted scene? Uh, producer Joel, Johnny, makes the mention that um, Billy Joe is singing Wake Me Up When September Ends. We don't know if he's slept through August, do we? Or maybe he's awake for all of August, in which case he's so spent from all his transfer window business that then he hibernates for the whole of September. Oh God, is it when September ends? You, you, you might have to, yeah. yeah, you might have to cut that joke. It doesn't, it doesn't work now. The joke doesn't work. It's not the worst joke you've made today. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> oh, God. No, that, one, that, one, that one's hopefully, hopefully on the cutting room floor. Um, uh, yes, it was Mike, by the way, who emailed us about Billy Joe owning a football club. And Felix says, uh, at university, a player who refed the second half of a league game didn't want to use a whistle that another player had already used. We were discussing referees without whistles uh, on the last pod. Instead, he just shouted toot as loudly as I pitched. As I... <laughs> it was utterly confusing. Um, Benji says, who is Max's favourite ever Dutch player? Ibrahimovic or Bl- Brolin? Hashtag Wallandergate. Daniel says, are you in the panel aware that Wallander is Swedish and not Dutch? I am. I In, in the heat of the enjoyment of Barry's Dutch accent, I got my Wallanders and Van der Volks in a muddle. And uh, please don't tell Wilson. Uh, I apologise. Uh, although David Squires, Barry, did message me to say, need to hear more from Barry Van Denning uh, after your, <laughs> your, your excellent Dutch last week. Save it for the live show. Um, and that'll do for today's podcast. Uh, yes, Johnny? Oh, can I just, uh, can I make a, a little shout out for something? Um, please. Yeah, my, uh, fr- a friend of mine, uh, well, friend of mine, Five-a-side teammate called Evan Gershkovitz is still in uh, a Russian jail. Uh, he's been imprisoned for, for doing his job at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, tomorrow night, um, Friday, that's Friday evening at 8pm 8, 8 in Battersea Park in London, if you're around. Uh, we're having a little kind of, uh, not, not a benefit, just a, a kind of a, a game. The Westminster lobby correspondents and some of his uh, five-a-side teammates like uh, from, his, uh, from our team to... Um, not really raise money, just to raise awareness. Uh, so if, if anyone wants to come down and watch me being terrifically shit at football, um, that's what we're doing. And it was his birthday last week. Well said. Um, and I can, I can, you know, corroborate, you, you will be terrifically shit. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I didn't mean that. That was, that was harsh of me, wasn't it? I take that, but can I take that back, Johnny? The too late. It's out there now, man. This is the thing. I mean, my football. I, I think I'm Declan Rice, but I'm actually Mark Noble. That's my. Yeah. That's my footballing character. You've got to play within yourself. You just got to. You've got to know what your limits are. That's I had to play limit. even further within myself than I think I need to play. Right. Yeah. I think you'll do a great job. Search for the hero yeah, inside yeah. yourself as a as a Well, uh, well I think that's a Dave that's a Dave Brailsford <laughs> song I think. I think that's what... pretty sure it's Heather Small, isn't it? But you know, I mean, I, they they both release so many songs at the same time. It's very hard. <laughs> I can, you can imagine Sir Dave singing it to singing it to yeah, singing it to Jaden Sancho and then all will be that's Manchester United sold, isn't it? It's all, all come full circle. Uh thanks Barry. Thank you. Thanks John. Cheers. Thanks Johnny. Cheers. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanders. This is The Guardian.